0: All right, well, good morning. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. We'll be looking at two verses today, verses 16 and 17. Today we've really reached the thesis statement of Paul's letter. This is the the main idea for the whole book of Romans. If I could summarize in two sentences what the book is about, it would be these two verses. Paul has spent the first 15 verses giving an introduction, giving his greetings to the people of, of Rome, And now in verse 16, he begins his main point. And uh, let's read in verse 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. I just want you to consider a question this morning. What is wrong with the world that we live in? Because I think that we live in a fairly backwards world, a world that calls evil good and good evil. And I have to say that I personally am very ashamed of the world that we live in. I'm ashamed of the things I've witnessed in my very short life on this earth. I'm ashamed of the things I continue witnessing as life goes on. We live in a society that opposes authority and speaks down to those that God has put into leadership. We live in a world that opposes law enforcement, and we treat them with contempt and disrespect. We live in a world where children dishonor their parents on a regular basis. We live in a world where it's normal to kill innocent children in the womb. We live in a world where a man can choose to be a woman, depending on how he feels that day. We live in a world where a woman can marry a woman, or a man can marry a man. And no one thinks twice about it. In fact, it's accepted, and not just accepted, but it's something that is encouraged, it's something that's applauded, and uh, anyone who disagrees is thought to be uh, not open-minded enough. We live in a world where pornography is rampant. We live in a world where there's no thought given to sex outside of marriage. We live in a world that attacks the marriage life, it attacks the sanctity of marriage, We live in a world where husbands and wives in in a a lot of secular relationships get into yelling matches. They start throwing punches. There's a lot of domestic abuse. We live in a world where there's rising divorce rates. We live in a world where people literally break into cars, smash and take things, and the police are not allowed to follow after them and pursue them. We live in a world that doesn't want to punish criminals for stealing from stores. We live in a society where TVs and movie shows have obscene language and adult material and it's just normal. You cannot even listen to music or the radio of any sort and go five minutes without hearing something ungodly. We have men and women in high offices that will look right at the camera and blatantly lie to you, won't even flinch. We have corruption from top to bottom in all parts of society and every aspect of it and we'll probably never actually truly know what ultimately all goes behind closed doors. But as we look at The problems we see in our society, the problems we see in our lives, the sin that's rampant, what is the solution to it all? What is going to make a difference in the lives around us? What can change the evil heart of mankind? What is the solution to the sin problem that's evidenced by the world around us? And I want to suggest to you that the answer, brothers and sisters, is found in the gospel. Paul says it is the power of God to salvation. When we hear the word gospel, many of us are very familiar with that, it, you know, it simply just means the good news. It's, it's the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of good news. You know, if it's good news, it means there's nothing to be ashamed of, right? I mean, because again, it's good news. I mean, you think about if you had, let's say, one day, God forbid, you find out when you do your checkup at the doctor that you are terminally ill with cancer. And the doctor say, you know, I, I'm so sorry. There's absolutely nothing we can do for you. You have six months at most, and I'm so so sorry to break that to you, and you go home and you're discouraged and you're contemplating what I'm gonna do with those next six months, and suddenly, during those six month period, a brand new cure that was never before discovered comes out that wouldn't just prolong your life, it then would eradicate the cancer completely. That would be good news. Or think of someone who's trying to have a kid, and they've tried for years and years and years to conceive, and after attempt after attempt, you're not successful, you've gone to specialists, you've gone to clinics, you've spent thousands of your own dollars trying to find other alternative solutions, and then there's just been no success. And then one day you randomly take a pregnancy test, and you see two blue lines, and you're pregnant. You're expecting a child, God has answered your prayer, it's good news. Or maybe one day you're falling behind on your mortgage, and you, know, you have credit card debt, and the You know, all the bills seem to be piling up, and you think to yourself, you know, if something doesn't change, uh, I'm going to have to file for bankruptcy. And as you're walking and thinking about life and thinking about what's going to come next, you look down on the ground, and there's a lottery ticket that's unused. And you just happen to go back home that day, and you turn on the TV, and sure enough, you have the winning numbers. All of your debt has been paid off. You're a millionaire now. You can now afford to pay off all the debt that you had. That would be good news. In all of these circumstances, the point I'm bringing across, in all, these good, in all these circumstances, these are good news. This is something good. I can't imagine anyone having one or all of these things take place in their life and them not wanting to just go and shout from the rooftop, you know, saying, I'm cured from cancer. I, I'm expecting a child. I was waiting for so long and now I finally can have that firstborn. Or I'm free of my debt. I'm a millionaire. I'm, I'm finally, I won the lottery. That's good news. Nobody would uh, be... You know, hearing that news, and then just keep it to themselves, because that is good news. And so with that, when you have good news, you're not ashamed of it. And Paul here says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Paul was not ashamed to bring this message to a powerful and sophisticated place like Rome. In Rome, you know, they had all sorts of gods. They had all sorts of uh, ideas uh, that were very contrary to Christianity. But the message of Christians' To the, to the Roman population, it was foolishness. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And the truth be told, the gospel is foolishness to those who are lost. Because the gospel, if you think about it, it centers around a poor Jewish carpenter who was crucified by the Romans. And they might think, well, what's, what's the good news in that? And not only that, you know, the Romans didn't really care for the Jews, you know, and so what's the point of putting your faith in a a Jew who's who's died? Where's the good news in that? They had great philosophers in Rome, they had great um, people of wisdom, and they took great pride in their knowledge. And they saw nothing special in the death of Jesus Christ, because the gospel is unattractive and repulsive to a naturally unsaved person. It's not good news to them. The gospel is not good news to them because it tells them that they're sinful. It tells them that if they continue on in life, the way they're going, they will ultimately uh, go to hell. They ultimately are deserving of the death that they will experience because their sin separates them from a holy God. And the gospel, which is even harder for them to hear, is that the gospel says that man is incapable of doing anything to fix this situation. Man cannot do enough good works. He can't pray enough. He can't uh, read their Bible enough. There is nothing they can do to fix their own problem. The gospel is unattractive and repulsive to the world because it exposes man's sin. It speaks of their lost condition. It's It's a blow to human pride, human ego. And because of that, people respond in a very defensive manner. People get angry. People argue with you about it. People criticize the message. People show their contempt towards the message. And um, it's because of the response that we received oftentimes that we grow silent. We grow embarrassed of the message. And yet Paul says, I'm not ashamed. It's, it's good news. I believe though, one of the greatest obstacles in sharing our faith is fear. I've been told um, that because of the, uh, the type of chemicals inside chalk that if you draw a circle of chalk around an ant, it won't leave that circle. It would rather stay there, and it will stay put in that circle until it dies, than to cross that white chalk line. And it kind of reminds me of people who are, can be like that. People who have this, this chalk around them, chalk of fear of ridicule, or fear of being thought um, you know, foolish, or fear of being rejected, and they'll never walk outside that circle because they're afraid. I have to be honest, though, that I wish I could honestly say at all times in my life that I am not ashamed of the gospel. I, I, you know, I can stand here and I can agree with Paul, but there have been times in my life where I have simply not shared the gospel because I was too afraid of what people thought of me. I was too afraid of what would happen with our relationship, that maybe they would not want to talk to me as much or not want to spend as much time with me. There's people I knew that needed to hear the message, but I simply was too afraid And so I changed the subject, or I talked about something else, even though I knew in my heart that person needed to hear that message. Fear is a real a real element in causing us to want to stay quiet. It's a real element in in hindering us from sharing the gospel. But it it is such good news that if you can just have the person listen to the message long enough to hear the message of how they need a Savior, to have them realize the Savior behind the message— to not just hear the bad news, but also the good news, then that person will be forgiven of their sins. That person will have a righteous standing before God. That person will be at peace. They'll have abundant life. That person will have eternal salvation. They will live eternally with their Savior who died for them. It is such good news. And so that's why Paul says here boldly, I, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And as I look at the life of Paul, I'm, I'm oftentimes so... I just admire his boldness, how this guy was not intimidated seemingly by anyone or anything. I mean, you look at his life and the religious leaders of Jerusalem didn't intimidate him. The political leaders of Judea didn't intimidate him. These intellectuals in Athens, they didn't intimidate him. Powerful Roman rulers like Caesar did not intimidate him. Why is that? Why could Paul be so eager to share a message that in the past has gotten him beat up, jailed, struck by rods, Uh, dragged outside the city and left for dead, whipped on five different occasions, and just being a perpetual target of people who want to eliminate him. Why could Paul say that he was so overjoyed and so glad and unashamed to share this message? Despite all he had gone through for the sake of the gospel, why was he not ashamed of it? Well, I'm glad you asked, because uh, we're going to look at four reasons as as to why Paul could say that he was not ashamed of the gospel. The first reason Paul was not ashamed of the gospel is because the gospel is powerful. The gospel is powerful. The gospel has the power to transform a life for God's glory. Paul says it is the power of God to salvation. And Paul knew from firsthand experience the transforming power of Christ. If you remember back in Acts 9, he was once a persecutor of God's people. He was a man who was on a mission. To kill those who spoke of the Lord, he was a man who, probably the last person you would ever expect to come to Christ. He's a person that certainly the people of Paul's day was thought, you know, he's 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 just too far gone, you know, he, he's too hard, and he's too callous that he would ever accept something like this. And um, Paul, who was originally called Saul, uh, many thought Saul would never come to the Lord. And even in my own life, I think about people who I know I've, I've talked to or you know, I've had discussions with, and I think, that person is so far away from the Lord. I don't know if that person ever will truly see uh, the reality of their sin. I don't know if that person will ever truly accept the gospel. They just seem almost like a lost cause. And yet, you see Paul here, who's to an even greater degree, it seems as though he would never come to know the Lord, blatantly opposing God, And yet, this man who was once a fiery opponent of the gospel had an encounter with the Lord, and the Lord spoke to him while he was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples. And it says that the Lord blinded his eyes and said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And through this encounter, Saul met the Lord, and his life was transformed. His sight was restored, and he learned and accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Lord took a once fiery opponent of the gospel and saved his soul for the glory of the Lord. Saul went from being a murderer of Christians to going out and preaching the very message he once hated so much. Saul changed his, or his name was changed from Saul to Paul, and now Paul, the author of this book of Romans, could think back on his firsthand experience and see the drastic transforming power um, of God through the gospel. It's not just Paul, though. I mean, you can... You can think about our own lives, too, about how the gospel has transformed our lives. Some of us came from lifestyles that included either some of these things or maybe all of them. You know, life issues that could have been spent in, we could have had our lives prior to coming to know the Lord in drunkenness or idolatry, sexual immorality. Some of us were (laughs) habitual liars. Some of us had serious anger issues. Some of us contemplated murder in our hearts or we were angry people. Some of us were thieves. Some of us were greedy for money. Some of us were lovers of self or lovers of money or were we were boastful or we were prideful. Some of us were scoffers towards God. Some of us were ungrateful, unholy. Some of us, many of us, all of us probably were disobedient to our parents. We were lovers of pleasures and haters of God. Those are just a short list of the things that we likely did. If not we're quite capable of in our sinful flesh. Those are things that defined our lives before coming to know the Lord. Those all could be an accurate description of who we were. All the things we could have done if we were given the opportunity. And so what changed? What, what had the power to turn our lives around? It wasn't a 12-step program. It wasn't trying harder to be a good person. It wasn't seeing a therapist. It wasn't, um, you know, reading some kind of help, self-help book. It was the gospel. It was the gospel that transformed our lives and brought a real change to our heart. It's the power that the gospel had that took me and you and all those who believe from being people who were once condemned to hell, incapable of following the law effectively, incapable of saving ourselves, hopeless to do anything to save ourselves and have a right standing before God. And it changed us. And it gave us hope. And the gospel says, it is the power of God to salvation, meaning that in accepting the gospel message, you have been released from the bondage of sin and the debt of it. You have been delivered from the power of darkness, from the grip that Satan once had on your life. And now we walk in light as members of God's kingdom. He has saved us from a lifestyle of destruction and then of aimless living. And he has saved us from the penalty of our sins. The moment we trusted Christ Christ, Our sins, present, past, and future, have all been paid for in full by the death of Jesus on the cross. What good news. What a salvation that we have. And so Paul was not ashamed of the gospel because he could attest to the fact that the gospel is powerful. The second reason Paul was not ashamed of the gospel is because the gospel is for everyone. It says, the power in verse 16, for the it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes for first. For the Jew first, and also for the Greek. Here, Paul is just speaking chronologically of how God reached the world with the gospel message. It came first to the Jewish nation, and then it came to the Greek, or the non-Jews. And most of us in this room are non-Jews. But the gospel was promised through the Jewish prophets, in Jewish scripture, to a Jewish nation, with a Jewish context, about a Jewish Messiah. But the gospel is still for the whole world. Jesus even said to the woman at the well that salvation is of the Jews. He didn't mean that it's only for the Jews or exclusively for the Jews, but he just meant that it came to the Jews first chronologically. The believers, uh, first believers were Jewish, the apostles were Jewish, the church was Jewish. Uh, You know, it it came to the Jews first, but it's also for the Gentiles. And so that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying that the gospel does not discriminate against Jew or Gentile. This message is for both of them, both Jew and Gentile, male and female, people of all color, all races, people of all walks of life, male and female, young and old, rich and poor, wise and unwise. The gospel is for everyone who believes. Paul even said in verse 14 of chapter 1, I am a debtor to both Greek and barbarian, both the wise and the unwise. Paul, in looking at this message that he had to deliver, felt a tremendous burden to share with because he said, you know, I have the solution that this lost world needs. I know the answers that the world is looking for. I know the problem, I know the solution to the sin issue they have. And as believers, we have the cure to sin. We know the way that a sinner can escape the eternal punishment that they are deserving. We know how a person can have peace with God. We know how a person can have a relationship with him. We know how a person can live eternally in the presence of of Jesus Christ. And so for Paul, it was a burden to him. It was an obligation that he felt that he couldn't keep this to himself because it was such good news. And, um, you know, I feel the same way myself. If I have the answers to the world's biggest problem of sin, then who am I to keep this message to myself? And so Paul was ready to preach for all that would listen to him And I believe that we also should have that same desire, that same burden on our hearts to share the good news of the gospel. It isn't just for certain people. The message of the gospel is for everyone who believes. So Paul was not ashamed because it was a powerful message. He realizes it's for everyone. And the third reason he's not ashamed is because the gospel reveals uh, and tells people how they can get right with God. Romans 1.17, it says, for in it, that is the gospel. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Paul here is saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it tells sinners how they can be made right with God. You know, it seems to be the overall theme of the letter in Romans of how a sinner can be made right before God. And that idea of how can a sinner be made right before God implies something about a person. It implies that naturally that person is not right with God. It implies that that person is a sinner. And, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of different people, uh, coworkers or friends um, who don't know the Lord. And, you know, if you talk to them about God, um, you'll likely hear something along the lines of, you know, I'm cool with God. You know, me and him, we have an understanding. Or, you know, we'll work things out when we get there. We'll, we'll deal with it privately. But don't worry about me. I'm, I've got it figured out. And, um, you know, maybe you're listening to this message and you think, you know, I'm okay with God. I'm, I'm fine. I, I, don't, I don't need you to tell me anything else. I, I, I'll figure it out myself. But if you were born into this world and you have not believed upon Jesus Christ for salvation, then I just need to tell you today that you're, you're not okay, that you do not have a relationship with God. And if you think you're good enough or righteous enough to go to heaven Just keep on reading Romans, and you'll see just in the next two chapters, in Romans 3, it says in Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Naturally, there is not a single person in this world who is right before God. No one is righteous. And so then the question comes up really here is, is, how then can a person be made righteous before a holy and righteous God if in and of themselves they are not naturally righteous. Romans, uh, we'll, we'll discuss this more in a few weeks, but Romans 3, verses 21 through 26 talks on this idea. And I just want to just briefly talk about it. So if you want to turn to Romans chapter 3, verse 21, it says, now, "'But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, "'being witnessed by the law and the prophets, "'even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ.'" to all and on all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God set as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sin, that, sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the, at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. In other words, the gospel starts off by telling us that we're all born sinners. There is none righteous, no, not one. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We cannot do good enough to save ourselves. We cannot be good enough to save ourselves. Uh, We cannot earn a righteous standing before God. The gospel also tells us, though, after he says that bad news, it tells us that God had a plan. God has a plan by which God can righteously save an ungodly sinner like me, like you, and like everyone in this world. On one hand, God is holy, and God must punish sin. He cannot overlook it. He can't make excuses for it. He cannot um, just ignore it. He must deal with the sin issue. But on the other hand, God is also a loving God. God loves sinners. He wants to save them. And so here is this dilemma. God's righteousness demands death. But on the other hand, God, God's love longs for that sinner to have a relationship with him. And he longs to have an eternal uh, eternal life. He, he longs to have an eternal joy for that person to know him. The gospel tells us how God can justify a sinner. It tells us how he can declare a sinner to be righteous. The gospel tells us that a loving God provided what his righteousness demanded. God, in his love, sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die as a substitute for sinners, paying the penalty in full of what we deserved on that cross. The death of Christ on that cross paid for our sins fully and satisfied that righteous demand of God. And because of that, God can now declare Ungodly sinners from nature, from born at birth ungodly, he can declare them righteous. All who believe and place their faith in Christ and what he's done for them, he can now declare them to be righteous. And upon believing this gospel by faith, God can declare ungodly sinners righteous. And so the gospel is good news because it tells ungodly sinners like us how we can be made right with God. And so Paul, because of that, is not ashamed of this good news. He's not ashamed of the gospel. The final and fourth reason why Paul is not ashamed of the gospel is because the gospel is freely available to all who believe by faith. Verse 17, we'll read just one more time. For in it that is the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. You know, we we just look at the righteousness of God. We looked at how he can justify ungodly sinners. We realize it's because of his death on the cross. But we also see um, God's righteousness because salvation is offered equally to all on the basis of faith. Faith alone in the finished work of the cross is how a person is saved. Can you imagine, though, if salvation was somehow on the basis of some kind of doing of sorts? Imagine if you you had to climb a certain mountain every year or you had to do a certain trek each year. How would that be fair to someone who has disabilities or someone who's not physically able to do that? Or if it was on the basis of good works, um, you know, how would a person ever know if they've done enough good things to satisfy this imaginary balance? I think I would just have a heart attack, uh, waiting my whole life wondering if I tipped over on the scale of good or bad. Um, or if, someone was, if it was based on giving, how would a person know or how would it be fair to those who are poor who can't give as much as a billionaire or a millionaire? Uh, if they had given enough to be saved. And so it wouldn't be fair. It wouldn't be saved. And, um, and, it, shows, and it shows that God is righteous because it's based not on anything we've done, but rather it's, it's based on fully believing upon what he has done by faith. I also think too, um, you know, what kind of good news would this gospel really be if we had to earn it in some way? You know I get these free offers in the mail all the time for um, you know free flights to I don't know the Bahamas or free flights to you know Europe or they do all inclusive trips to um, you know Europe or something like that and you know this seems like really good news, and you, you think oh wow this is this is great they're just handing out freebies but then as you flip the the flyer to the backside, you read all this fine print and it's you find out it's not really free. you find out that you know you have to you know, go and purchase a certain amount first, or you might have to go to a timeshare meeting, or sometimes you have to, um, you know, uh, complete X, Y, and Z first before you're allowed to get this free offer. And so, in the end, it's not free. It it costs you your time, or it costs you your money. And so, if the gospel offer was like what the world offers up with with these free deals— it would be very unattractive. It would actually be embarrassing to tell people that, you know, I told you that good news, but, you know, just, just flip to the backside, actually. There's some, there's some conditions on, on this, this free gift. Um, but Paul, knowing that there's no fine print, there's no, um, nothing you have to do in order to receive this gift of salvation, Paul says, you know, it, it's good news. It's good news that there's nothing a person has to do to be saved in order to There's no good works, no rituals, there's no amount of money you have to give. There's nothing a person can do on their own to be saved, except believing by faith. And so the gospel is offered freely to everyone, and it is accepted on the basis of faith alone. Faith is essential to the life of a believer. I mean, if you think about it, you start off, you're believing by faith in the good news of Jesus Christ you believe that by faith, um, I'm trusting him for my salvation. And then as you go on in life, you, be, you, know, you, you experience different things and you grow in your Christian walk by faith. And then you know, as you mature more, you experience trials and you know, maybe some life tests. And by faith, you rely upon God's goodness, his righteousness, his promises. And by faith, God brings you through those trials in life. And when you get to the end of your life, you believe by faith, that God will take you home to be with him in heaven where you'll forever be with your Savior, forever be with the one who you first placed your trust in by faith. And so you see the life of a believer all throughout the course of their life is from faith to faith. It's just this continuum, this continuum of faith from start to finish of the Christian life, of the Christian walk. And um, this idea is supported in the Old Testament, which Paul actually quotes from in Habakkuk, where it says the just shall live by faith. Those who are declared righteous by God, those are the justified. Those are those who have trusted in Christ by faith. Aren't you thankful it doesn't say the just shall live by doing good works or by being a good person or by praying enough. Instead, it says the just shall live from faith. From start to finish, the life and the walk of a believer is by faith in Christ Jesus and so I just ask you again, with all the, the sin and corruption and the evil that goes on in the world, what is the solution to it all? What is going to make the difference in the lives around us? What is going to change the wicked ways of a sinner? What is the solution to the sin problem? The solution to the answer, and the answer to the world's sin issue is the gospel. The, power, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel has the power to transform lives. The gospel has the power to change hearts of sinful men and women. The gospel has the power to change the hearts and minds of a man like Saul of Tarsus, who once was a persecutor of Christians. The gospel has the power to save 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost. It has the power to change the heart of a murderer. It has the power to change the heart of an adulterer. It has the power to transform the habits of an alcoholic and a drug addict and allow them to be sober-minded. It has the power to change the lips of a person who once blasphemed God and to now have their lips being filled with praises for him. It has the power to transform the desires of a thief to now give generously to the Lord. It has the power to change the desires of a sinner and turn them from their wicked ways and to follow the Lord without ever looking back to their old ways. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer and the solution to the sin problem that plagues our world. Brothers and sisters, we have the answer here. The solution to the sin problem is found right here in God's word, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I just want to encourage you guys, let us share this good news. This is life-changing, powerful good news. We should share it with all those around us. Let us be bold like Paul. Let us be unashamed to tell others of a God that loved them so much that he went to Calvary to die on a cross for their sins, of a God that created them and desires to have a relationship with them, of a God that wants to change their heart and to use them for his glory. Let us be bold and share this good news, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we're just so thankful for this, this good news. Lord, I remember when I first heard it, and Lord, I, I thank you, Lord, for this good news. I thank you for um, changing my life, Lord. I thank you for the salvation that you offer through it, Lord. And Lord, we, we have a lost world around us. We have... People who don't know you, Lord, and yet oftentimes we can be so fearful to share what is such good news, what is such powerful, life-changing news. Lord, I just pray that we'd be bold this week, this year, the rest of our lives even, Lord, just sharing of how we came to know you and how they also can have a relationship with you. I pray that, Lord, we would never forget how powerful your word is and how powerful the gospel is in transforming lives for your purposes. I pray all these things in your name. Amen.